It is time to check back in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for another Tacky Talk podcast. Hi, Tacky. How are you? Good morning, Joe. Happy to see you again on uh, this uh, end of October. I mean, the September, not quite October, but end of September. Yes, they're all running together here. <laughs> I know. Uh, Saturday is October 1st already, and how quickly the summer fades. I know. Are you going to the uh, the big food truck festival in Quincy Center? Uh, this Saturday, I actually have a couple of events. Um, I have a police memorial in the morning, uh, and then that evening um, is uh, actually uh, the council general from uh, China will be in town. So I got to um, get myself into town uh, for a bit because October 1st is the uh, People's Republic of China's establishment. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's October 1st. October 10th is actually so-called, uh, it doesn't translate properly, but it's referred to as Chinese Independence Day. It's the day when um, the emperor or Empress Dowager in this case, uh, she was really running the place and, and the last emperor uh, were uh, disposed or deposed. Uh, I believe, uh, yeah, uh, some people were probably disposed, but it was the <laughs> uh, That was back way back in uh, 1919. So oh, interesting. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, there's a couple of um, Chinese related events. There's also a Korean event this month. It's Korean Foundation uh, Day, um, which I think is the fifth of October. I have to look it up again. But uh, you know, October actually has some significant holidays for um, Korea and China. Uh, speaking of events, uh, I saw you went fishing. <laughs> I did. Uh, the Division uh, Marines, uh, Marines and Fishery and Wildlife um, held an event in Nut Island uh, to promote uh, fishing as a recreational opportunity for folks. Uh, very happy they went down to Nut Island. It's a beautiful spot. As uh, some of you may know, it's the MWA pumping station for basically all the sewage from Quincy and uh, parts of other towns uh, into uh, Deer Island. And uh, I'm not old enough to remember it, but I mean, that used to be a really nasty place at one time, too. They built that brand new pumping station, which is which is great. You can use it as a community room. Uh, you can uh, walk the property. Uh, it's beautifully kept. So, you know, they decided to do a promotion in Quincy on fishing as a recreational sport. Um, they provide education materials, stuff for kids, and they provide the rods and they bait the hooks for you. So you didn't have to worry about getting your hands dirty. Um, did you catch anything? <laughs> uh, I did not. I uh, ran to a few constituents and uh, we had a chit chat about issues that are important to them. And, um, you know, and watched them uh, bring buses of people. They actually had a, a parking designation at Athens House School and they bussed them in from there. And, and I got there pretty much at the beginning of the event and was quite surprised and impressed exactly how many people want to try it out. And, uh, I hope it encourages people to, you know, take advantage of this recreational sport. And Quincy's actually a great place, as well as other South Shore uh, coastline areas, to do recreational fishing. Oh, yeah. And that, it's a beautiful spot out there, even just to walk around. Um, if folks have never visited, it's it's a lovely park now. You get beautiful views of uh, the, the uh, Boston skylines. So it's really worth checking out. Oh, yeah. It, bring your camera. Um, mm -hmm. You take East Street. Uh, to the very end where it becomes C Ave, go up Great Hill, go down the other side of Great Hill, and then uh, you have uh, to your right the, the pumping station. They're only open during daylight hours. They do close it to the public at dusk. Uh, and then to get out, you um, can bang a left and go back to where you came up, C Ave, uh, that side, you can go straight down. Um, 
and go to uh, go straight back to uh, C Street that way because there's a one way uh, going back the other side of uh, Great Hill. So it's actually not that hard to get in and out of. Uh, I just uh, think it's just one that people don't think about it so far out of the way. Yeah. You know, every part of the city has a gem that most people don't realize, whether it be uh, a quiet spot with nature or a historical marker uh, that people don't really think about visiting. It's true. Yeah, there are a lot of hidden up, um, places that folks have probably lived here all their lives don't even know about yet. So it's worth exploring. The um, The Parks Department actually has a great um, map uh, on their website of, of the public uh, parks and recreational areas. So folks should check that out. Hmm. Yeah, lots of places to walks. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of places you can bring your dogs. Remember to clean up for your dogs and, you know, great for kids. Uh, and the city and the state you know, does a pretty good job on maintaining these properties, especially during the higher busier seasons when the weather is warmer. Yeah. So it might be a good chance to mention, um, I know the Friends of Wallston Beach is having a Kids Fest on Sunday, October 9th. They had to be delayed because of a weather concern. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, uh, they're having an event on the 9th and they're having an annual meeting, I believe, um, was it, like eight days later? So it was like the 22nd or 23rd. So, uh, you know, Friends of Warren Beach is you know, a wonderful partner with the DCR and the city to promote uh, Walson Beach and the surrounding area and uh, create some recreational activities for families. So, yeah, they were supposed to go off uh, this event during Labor Day weekend, but it got a little hairy that weekend on weather. And uh, whether rather than take the risk, you know, they, they pushed out about a month uh, to to try to get uh, ideal conditions or better conditions, so you know people won't get wet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seeing as we're on the topic of weather, um, let's talk about what Hurricane Ian did to Florida and uh, concerns. I guess that raises here uh, in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's been about 100 years or so uh, that uh, the wrecked hit on the Gulf Coast side of Florida. We were just talking earlier about this. I mean, generally, the if it's in the Gulf, uh, it spins around. It actually goes into kill places like New Orleans and Houston, right? It, it, it does it like head out to Florida, but because of the way the currents work and, and the wind works, it kind of bangs a left and, you know, builds strength and swing back up either to smack um, the New Orleans region, uh, that side of Texas or spin back into Mexico. Mm-hmm. This is actually very unusual that it hit uh, the Gulf Coast and then just proceeded to go straight through the middle of Florida uh, on its way up to the Atlantic. And because of the nature of the, again, the winds and the water, you know, it, it's going to be weakened as it hit North and South Carolina. Um, people remember that a lot of these hurricanes come up the, the east side of Florida and just keep climbing up. And we hope we don't get smacked in the way through. But you know, it's a clear sign again of climate change. I mean, globally speaking, you know, you, everyone's been really dry or really wet. And uh, not surprising, uh, the wet places got weather. And the places that are dry, um, meaning that it's not like a tropical weather situation, like New England is not a tropical weather zone, got drier. And if you look at the typhoons that have moved through uh, the Pacific, you know, going straight up into Korea, they were looking at Category 3s. Not, not that often, uh, uh, typhoons hit uh, Korea. It's a long way from the warm water itself. And uh, Pakistan, 30% of the country was underwater. Yes, yeah, I saw that. So, so definitely been some extreme weather events, yeah. Yeah, and it ha- not surprising happens in the warmest sections of the of the world. So this is what you're going to be living with. And, you know, Massachusetts is a coastal city. And, uh, you know, my, my line to Maura Healy is coastal defenses. We have to really 
make an investment as a state of how we're going to deal with rising waters and how we're going to deal with uh, potentially more severe storms, uh, particularly now we're starting a hurricane season, essentially. And, you know, they may not rise to a level of a hurricane or tropical storm, but nor'easters are basically tropical storms for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a very quick hitting tropical storm as opposed to a developed one. They just, you know, nor'easters don't develop until they actually get to Connecticut. Right. You know, and if you have two storms collide where you have one coming out of Chicago and you have one coming to the coast and happy to have a meeting of the mines in New York, uh, <laughs> we've seen that happen too. Uh, yes, and, uh, the perfect storm, I think 1991, that happened, yeah. Yeah, it's, it does happen. Uh, people uh, kind of think it does in the sense that, you know, we, we're kind of sheltered from these sort of, sort of things, but we really are not. So, you know, uh, you know, all meteorologists and scientists are thinking that, you know, these uh, mega storms or these very severe uh, Gulf Coast, you know, uh, Atlantic hurricanes are going to continue and they're not going to get any smaller. They're going to get stronger as time goes along. It's just that, you know, up here in the storm weakens unless it picks up moisture from a, a traveling buddy coming <laughs> into Chicago and decides to meet up and uh, wreck the place, so to speak, um, uh, or hit and run. But even the last storm uh, was a Fiona, Flora. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually did bypass us, but it took a smack at Halifax. So rare to see Atlantic Canada get hit by a hurricane, yeah. Very rare. Um, it took uh, Halifax. It, it managed to get around Massachusetts while doing a whole lot to us, but it smacked Halifax on the way up to the cold waters where it dissipates. Yeah. Um, of course, Quincy, as you noted, is a coastal community. I know there have been a lot of seawall repairs being done. As there, Do you know, is there more in the pipeline? Yeah, there's plenty of work to continue to seawall repair. The seawalls, uh, particularly in my district, are all owned by the city. So despite they've used state and federal money over the years, uh, and when I mean years, I mean decades, many decades, uh, it is city-owned properties. Uh, you know, obviously the state has put up some money for seawall, both design engineering and some construction costs. You know, uh, Senator Markey, Senator Warren, and Congressman Lynch have also all got some federal money uh, to help with the seawall project. And of course, the city put up its own bond money as well. So a lot of you know state, federal, and local partnerships regarding the seawall repairs and um, some cases of seawall elevations. Like Adam Short has an elevation of two feet, I believe, of seawall. So you know this is going to be an ongoing issue for a city to try to keep up with, uh, because I just don't see this changing. And um, you know I'll be frank about this: the state division of waterways is not the same agency I used to deal with thirty years ago. And mm. you see that's also in charge of building coastal defenses, like natural barriers, like sand dunes, seagrass, uh, you know, rocks, depending on where you are, <laughs> right. uh, to, uh, you know, try to provide uh, some buffer against the ocean. Because between human development, because uh, a lot of stuff we mess with uh, as we build housing and so forth along the water, um, plus just natural erosion uh, has really uh, changed our natural coastal defenses. And, you know, beach sand even, you know, you know, goes into the ocean, but the beach sand eventually travels to the Cape. Mm-hmm. It isn't like a, you know, one day event, you know, over the course of many, many, many years, the currents will just carry particles uh, out of the Quincy Bay uh, over long periods of time. It just brings it to deposit elsewhere. So, I mean, our, you know, creation of Walson Beach and all the uh, urban beaches are, are not natural I mean, to, to be bringing the beach sand. 
you know, has an effect going, you know, up and down the coastline. Right. Yeah, that's what I've seen. I mean, as you pointed out, so much development took place on the west coast of Florida since the last hurricane. That's why there's so much more damage now. Yeah, property damage is higher. Lives are more at risk. And you've probably seen the video in the news of the before and after shots of some of these streets where um, you could barely see the mailboxes. Yes. Uh, the water is so high. Uh, and uh, unlike some other parts, you know, they were less prepared in, in the sense that they didn't have such a major storm in so long, you know, and uh, you know, other parts uh, of Florida, you know, it's almost like a annual occurrence. Right. So it's kind of a different mentality, uh, depending, you know, where you're living at the time. But also some really odd phenomena where some of the riverways actually went dry yep. as it hits the eye of the storm and the ocean, you know, just pulls uh, the water out of rivers uh, temporarily, uh, but eventually nature will want it back. Hmm. So, you know, eventually the water flows back in and the river assumes like it should. Um, but again, a lot of these rivers, you know, because of us, uh, you know, have been diverted, dammed, um, coveted, you know, all kinds of things. And, and Quincy is no uh, different. I mean, Furnish Brook, uh, you know, uh, is um, stoned in essentially. You have uh, Town Brook, which is basically coveted. Uh, as people remember the Quincy Center project, Town Brook was moved a couple of different times. That's right. Through COVIDs. Uh, and we have uh, flood uh, diversion, you know, uh, uh, further up on Town Brook that was built before my time. You know, it's got to be closing well over 30 years now uh, to try to mitigate flooding in the western side of the city. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about um, international affairs. Uh, the the elections, quote unquote, in, in Ukraine, <laughs> where Russia's annexing parts of the occupied territories. Yeah, not a new phenomena. Uh, they did this uh, with Crimea and uh, parts of the Donbass uh, way back when during their first uh, annex and annexation uh, back, uh, af actually right after the Sojo Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, so it uh, seems like a lifetime. Uh, and of course, they're looking to create legitimacy under their military operation to free uh, segments of the Russian-speaking population by Ukrainian oppression. Now, we can get into a long debate about whether that statement's true or not, depending on what side of argument you like to take. But put that aside for the moment. You know, the idea of they create uh, new republics or new countries recognized by Russia, you know, creates an expansion of the sphere of influence or the umbrella, Russian umbrella. Uh, mind you, this is actually an interesting referendum. It's not a referendum to say that they're going to join Russia. It's to establish a new government or their own country or whatever you want to call it, independence from Ukraine. Right. Yeah. So a lot of analysts are trying to, you know, read into uh, the President Putin's words about you attack Russian soil, we're going to meet you of, you know, undisclosed vague threat of like massive retaliation, right? Whether it be chemical weapons, bioweapons, or nuclear weapons. Mm. So the speculation is like, well, if these things, these sections of Ukraine break off, is that considered Russian land? And if you really, really, really want to get technical about it, you know, they're seeking, they're going to declare independence first, but then, you know, then, you know, they could probably take a separate vote regarding annexation. But it's it's like a two step process, and it's trying to create legitimacy uh, with this domestic audience. All politics are local, folks. Even military conflicts. So, you know, in Russia's case, they want to sell this, continue to sell this story at home through the state media and the censored internet. That you know, this is a justifiable course of action through these referendum votes, despite the fact that you know a lot of folks fled 
the region because you know war um and even people that stayed uh, are in the midst of a war zone too so getting the vote out you know claims the 50 percent turnout but 50 percent of what right. i mean three days of voting but if there's shelling going on you know just saying yeah. i read a story where armed soldiers went door to door to collect the ballots yeah, it's it's it definitely a, a forced referendum. But again, this is selling it at home, not selling it to us, you know, right. observers outside. And again, he wants to make sure he has support of the public and conscription of uh, folks that have prior military service, you know, is active in Russia. And uh, it is a mandatory uh, military training state that when you reach, I believe, 18, uh, you have to serve in the military, I believe, for up to three years. Hmm. Uh, this is something that is unheard of in the U.S. We've never done this in the U.S. But there's no general conscription. There's no draft uh, in Russia yet um, as they try to fill in uh, losses and rotation of men because there's been no rotation. I mean, people are dying and wounded, but the people that are still fighting have not had days off. Right. So, you know, uh, not surprising uh, people who uh, don't want to fight in this a war or try to get out of Russia by the by the tens of thousands yeah we've seen uh, the borders jammed with convoys of people trying to leave yeah the Russian parliament or the Russian you know legislative branch uh you know had has voted to pass a new law to uh, address the desert desert uh, deserters so people are trying to flee to the borders kind of country are going to be subject to Russian law regarding arrest and then, um, you know, obviously people on the front lines that, you know, desert, uh, you know, subject to criminal offense as well, they should get caught. So you know, it's clear that the, the Putin regime is trying to create as many deterrents as possible people uh, fleeing the country or leaving their hosts in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that's going to matter. Hmm. It really has this had ramifications all around the world, this, this conflict, um, politically, economically societally yeah it also broke a lot of myths about russia while there were a top 10 or 11 economy it was at the bottom of either 10 or 11 shuffling between them and canada um you know it shows exactly how uh, all the analysis regarding their economy and their uh, military was somewhat a little off uh especially with uh the military you know which is a top three military on the planet and if they didn't have nuclear weapons, I mean, this is not a good-looking military. Right. If not for the capacity for nuclear and chemical weapons and bioweapons, I mean, they're not really that dangerous uh, in a straight head-to-head -head fight uh, with, uh, you know, quite frankly, U.S. Uh, shoulder-based weaponry and mobile weaponry. And we didn't even, there's no U.S. heavy equipment in Ukraine. I mean, and they're getting trashed. Uh, by yes, you know, U.S. you know, and European-made weapons, but this is not the heavy stuff, right? Uh, in the sense, we're still providing them conventional, uh, the, the the Ukrainians more conventional artillery, which is towed artillery. Uh, the mobile artillery gets a lot of news because it's such an amazing uh, piece of military technology, where you know you can shoot your artillery and they just drive away before they know you were there. Yeah, you know, as opposed to towing. Uh, artillery as you guys watch movies these larger guns you know you need to be told you know this was what a lot of, of what the u.s sent over so yeah it's it's you know it's amazing an economy of course you know uh they're tied such a there's, there are really tied to national 
network. And, uh, you know, Nord Stream 2, you know, had some damage or question with the sabotage under the Baltic Sea by the Russians. Uh, and, you know, I can't, how dependent they also are on uh, fossil fuels uh, as their primary uh, revenue source. Um, and given how weak your economy is, taxation on the population is unlikely to generate much more money because you've not heard them tax anybody. You can't get blood from a stone, as they say, right? Yeah. Yeah, and their uh, grain exports and their uh, raw material exports uh, beyond fossil fuels is, is the lifeblood of that economy. And, uh, you know, like you, you can run a country on it, but again, I mean, it's it's considered, uh, you know, not a superpower, but definitely a, you know, a major uh, military economic uh, country, uh, especially in the European bloc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Ukraine's been able to do this really without... Uh, air superiority. Typically, you would you would win a war by by air, right? But they they don't seem to need that. Yeah, Ukrainian forces air force is still up and running. I right. mean, still running sorties uh, inside Ukraine proper, targeted locations, basically to harass uh, to try to keep uh, Russian forces from uh, you know creating advance uh, movement through uh, bombing and um, you know clear the path, so to speak, in front of you. Uh, but they also be very careful to avoid areas of high anti-aircraft fire. So obviously to keep away from Crimea, to keep away from the Black Sea. But they have been really harassing uh, Russian planes in the interior of Ukraine. And I've not seen a news article yet, but I mean, early in the war, CNN was out uh, with the Air Force and uh, in an undisclosed location. Um, obviously, they did a lot of masking of identification of planes and pilots. Uh, but, you know, there's still, you know, it's not a big air force, but it's right. a, still a fully functional air force in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, they had that hit on um, a fuel depot way back at the beginning of the war with uh, helicopters. Were not, they're not, they were not U.S. made helicopters, they were Ukrainian helicopters, where they snuck out a corridor border, uh, shot some missiles at a fuel depot and, and ran off again. So combined arms is not uh, completely lost on the uh, Ukrainians. Uh, they have limited air support, but you, the air support combined arms uh, that they're using has been strongly effective. Yeah. Um, back here at home, Tacky, let's talk about our economy. Do you think the interest rate hikes are working? Well, technically, depending who you want to talk to, we're in a so-called recession that's not really a recession. We've been talking about this for actually many weeks now about my thoughts on the matter. And the economy has shrunk, but it's minuscule shrinking. I mean, we're talking less than a percentage point. Uh, and yeah, I know the Fed's looking for a 2%, and it's not even near there. Not even near. They're trying to shrink the economy a minimum 2% and try to do a soft landing reduction. Unemployment has not spiked. I mean, it's gone up a hair and gone down a hair. It's been this kind of like a little bumpy road. Uh, but I mean, not a lot of people with unemployment benefits as we as the country stays in that 3%, give or take a few percentile points, half, you know, fractional percentile points back and forth. But I mean, th- th- this is amazing. And again, I still believe consumer spending uh, will drive uh, down GDP as we move into the winter months and constant warnings about energy spike pricing. Uh, coming down uh, into the wintertime, people are getting ready for that and any type of holiday travel. So, uh, you know, we're a consumer-based economy, we're a service-based economy. We're not a manufacturer-based economy. Are, are we completely exist in the movement of your money and my money, you know, my personal pocketbook money around uh, to buy goods and services so people can be employed and they can buy, you know, the business can buy goods and services to, you know, create a loop of, of economic development. 
So, but, you know, I was out uh, last night uh, in Quincy Center and uh, it was hard to find a parking space. Mm-hmm. Yep. At 7 p.m. So people are still uh, eating out for now, despite increased uh, food prices. Uh, you guys all have seen, I mean, big spikes. Uh, some restaurants actually was at uh, Tennessee Ribs and Braintree, and uh, they stopped taking credit card transactions because the transaction fees are too high. They, they're charging 3.5% on your bill uh, if you do so. And mm-hmm. it's full disclosed walking the door. You know, cash is king. Um, at the same time, gas prices have gone down significantly. This time last year, it was about um, $3, and I think it was about $0.10 cents or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in Quincy, you know, the average price is like $3 and 44 or 45 cents, depending on your food serve or self serve. And, you know, even the BJ's membership is down to like $3 and 34 cents. Yeah. Yeah. It's high, but, you know, keep in mind a year ago, it was about $3 and 10 cents. And uh, it's a fire cry from close to $5 when the Ukraine war started. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, but you pointed it out. It's, Everybody's working, so everybody's spending. People continue to spend. I just think it's going to be much um, more in essential service spending. Like people have to eat, right? It's mm-hmm. complicated, but you know, unless there's like incredible deal on appliances um, or other large ticket items, I just don't see people buying a lot of large ticket items. And even car uh, dealership advertising is coming in hot and heavy on the television uh, as they're trying to you know get some sales going before the winter months. Right. Yeah. Uh, although they're facing the supply shortage issue on uh, the manufacturing sector still today. Yeah. I mean, ga- uh, car prices are extraordinarily high because, again, supply chain. And people don't realize that car prices, no matter what decade you're in, um, with the, uh, with the size of the car is what we look at. The price structure, the size of the car hasn't changed that much over the ca- course of 50 years. I mean, it does go up, but it doesn't reflect the rate of inflation. This is the first time that it's really affected, really, really reflect rate of inflation, not because of uh, inflated costs you see in consumer goods. It's just supply chain. Right. Yeah. And getting parts is extremely difficult. So, I mean, you know, they're looking at 8% in August uh, inflation rate. I I have a hard time seeing that September is not in the close to 8% zone. You know, ideally you want to get inflation down to 2% and, move us into, as a point out, negative 2% GDP to make that happen. Mm. Uh, and uh, we got to weaken the dollar. I mean, it's killing us. And people are like, you know, strong, strong, strong is good. It's an interesting common sense mentality. But don't forget that people buy our stuff, anything we manufacture. In the U.S. export, whether it be raw product or, you know, assembled, or even parts assembled, is now very expensive for a foreign country to buy. Right. So that's going to tamper growth. Yeah. That's going to tamper growth naturally. Why this? That's why this economy makes no sense. You got a really strong dollar that's tampering foreign uh, people from buying our goods, foreign country buying goods. But because of supply chain, we have to pay for it because we have no choice because they have supply chains issues. Right. Now that everyone's paying for too much because the dollar is too strong, which has an adverse effect on the bottom line in foreign countries because they have to jack up their prices like we've jacked up our prices. We've jacked up wages as well because we have a workforce shortage. I mean, a man, one people are dead, and you know you have people leaving their jobs uh, because they're retiring now because mm-hmm. people have rethought how their lives operate because of COVID, and then you, know, you have also people leaving jobs for greener pastures because there's a buyer's market. 
And of course, energy prices are high, which drives up also local costs uh, as well. So you have that double inflation. Again, it's not uniquely just the US. This is a global issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and people and what consumer-based economy, most first world countries consumer-based economy is trying to rotate money around. Uh, but again, we talked about this last time, you know, your saving account isn't dramatically increasing in interest um, because the banks are trying to figure out what stability looks like before they play with other interest rates. But now there's a competitive uh, CD rates for online banks and other um, non-conventional brick and mortar banks to try to get your money into their CDs uh, because uh, they have less uh, overhead mm-hmm. and they yeah. want to increase deposits. So it is, this is totally weird. Um, and uh, Massachusetts is unique uh, in many ways because while we have high interest rates, the housing prices isn't dropping greatly because we don't have sufficient stock. Right, yeah. Now, if you're less desirable part of the country where you weren't able to sell your house anyway because there's no jobs in your region, well, they're still not selling. They're just dropping in price and still not selling. Um, you know, up here where we have high density and uh, limited stock, don't count housing prices that drop dramatically at all. No, somewhat, but right. I don't think there'll be a crash at all. Like, as you say, there's just not enough supply to meet demand. Yeah. And this is why this is such an odd set of circumstances. You know, a conventional recession would have the banks collecting on people's mortgages or foreclosing like crazy. You know, you have people doing massive layoffs because, um, you know, this is not enough uh, money to move the economy around. Uh, and uh, goods and services price structure, you know, wouldn't have just a dramatic change of, of 8%, 12% increased inflation. Uh, and then, you know, the dollar would be weaker uh, and that would be better because people stop buying our stuff and then they'll start rebounding the economy once the dollar bottoms out and people right. start buying our goods in large amount, which then restarts employment on, on the international component. Then, you know, you got the money circling around locally to restart the economy as well once you know we reach equilibrium on unemployment. And unemployment to economists are very important because that means you have a pool of people that need a job. Mm-hmm. You can keep the unemployment rotating. So that's why unemployment rates eventually t- taper off at a top point as uh, employers and everybody start to readjust to business models and then start looking for employment again as, as uh, overall goods and services become desirable, you know, not just locally, but international level. Yeah, that's a good time for uh, us to travel to Europe, though. Our dollar goes way further. Oh, yeah. The euro and the dollar is practically one to one. And you saw the British uh, policy on massive tax cuts and increased spending. <laughs> you guys are like listening like, what? <laughs> it's, it's not yeah, it's the trickle, do- trickle down theory that didn't work here. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. Uh, it does not work at all. But the idea that you know we can cut your taxes and spend more money. You know, not surprising, it uh, comes from the Conservative Party in, in, uh, in uh, England. Uh, it sounds very much like Republican uh, D.C. as well, where, uh, you know, they want to spend programs like, like MAD. You never hear them cut programs. Right. But they also, also want to have you give uh, less money to the government, but somehow expand program development. Uh, a very similar story in, in England right now, which is causing a huge ripple effect uh, against the, uh, the pound. Mm-hmm. Or sterling, which is at bottom of a dollar uh, three U.S. against the sterling, which normally is closer to a dollar twenty U.S. per sterling, and uh, it's going to still bottom out. Uh, I suspect as it goes along, as economists in a hyper recession looking at a massive debt increase, you know, on a yeah, it's a top five economy, but it's not the U.S. Right, and it is a heavily traded commodity, sterling, but the U.S. dollar is the cash reserve of of the world. 
meaning that if you have an economy that's having severe economic problems in the government level, you hoard U.S. dollars like mm-hmm. mad. You basically exchange your local currency for U.S. dollars and put it straight into your reserves. Right. Uh, because the U.S. dollar valuation is always good. And you buy U.S. Uh, US debt like mad. You also mm-hmm. buy U.S. debt because the U.S. is the guarantor of that debt. And the U.S. has, uh, except for well, one time when the Republicans and Democrats in Congress couldn't get their act together, the, you know, the U.S. has never missed a debt that payment in the history of this country. No, I mean, we saw China buy up huge amounts of U.S. debt because of that, yeah. Yeah, you're going to buy in other countries and, you know, even you know regular folks are buying treasury bonds, right? People mm-hmm. buying, you know, countries on the other hand aren't like people because they can wait 30 years for the interest to come through issue, but right. even if it's low interest, but, you know, it's also guaranteed payment. So, I mean, if you're going to buy, if you're a foreign country running into a financial situation and you need some uh, cash reserves, uh, you're buying up U.S. dollars and you know hoarding dollars, and you're also buying U.S. bonds and hoarding them too, because uh, you know uh, they're stable. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're guaranteed. It's it's an it's a sure thing, which is very rare in <laughs> in the markets these days. Yeah, I don't see people buying you know Somali bonds. I mean, you're not doing that. It's a very unstable country. Right. No guarantee of payment. Yeah, and there are municipal bonds too. People should be aware of. You can buy. Stock in the city of Quincy, if you want. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but the bond rating is significantly lower. Yes. Interest rate is actually better. And uh, But historically, uh, bond issuers don't like uh, places that have uh, un- unstable income and fickle decision makers. So while property taxes drive all of our uh, finances, they also pays these bond debts. Mm-hmm. You know the property valuation varies, which creates uncertainty that they can be paid uh, on time, which is why we don't. You know the rates are a little bit lower, so the city doesn't miss bond payments either. Uh, but because of the nature of the income, uh, creates creates uh, nervousness with the bond issuers. Right. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. That depends on the state of the economy of the city at that time. Yeah. Same thing at our level. I mean, we have actually a very good bond rating too, but. Because the legislature is a fickle entity, we start cutting taxes, our bond rating will go up because they get nervous that, you know, we cannot budget ourselves correctly with the claim. Right. Now that we are in a temporary, and I always say we're temporary because it's temporary losses, temporary gains, temporary gain situation, you know, Wall Street's pretty confident, you know, that we can pay our, at least pay our debts for the next few years. But we hit a recessionary period. If you you know, if we do massive cuts with no tax increases, the debt people will kind of like look at us like, okay, let's reevaluate these guys. Um, on a Washington level, we print money. I mean, <laughs> and the debt holders know it. And uh, we were 80% of the cur- all currency transactions uh, in the in country is 80% is U.S. currency. So again, I mean, we don't make, we don't miss federal bond payments um, because they know we can print the money. Uh, but at our level, obviously we don't print money and we don't have deficit spending. So it's, you know, you can see, you guys can see how um, how we approach our debt service is largely reflects around a stability of our ability to pay. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just like when a bank looks at you when you're applying for a mortgage, they think, hmm, can Joe really afford this? <laughs> yeah, that's why they pull your credit score uh, to see how you pass debts and also look at your income. And uh, they try to figure out if you're able to uh, have a position of employment that uh, is stable 
uh, enough and your income stream stable enough, looking at your credit score that you pay past debts, hoping that historical record result will also yield a consistent future results in the individual regarding debt holding. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the election tacky coming up. Um, what do you think about the race? Speaking about uh, um, laws and, and, and bond ratings, the attorney general's race. Well, attorney general's race is still kind of humming along. I mean, yeah. you've seen the commercials. Uh, they were canvassing Quincy this past Saturday, mm-hmm. actually in Hell's Neck. Um, the, you know, the Healy campaign is actually taking actually no chances whatsoever uh, after our experiences with um, more Healy and I'm sorry, more uh, Martha Coakley. These M's right. mess me up. I do it all the time, as you guys see. But, you know, with Martha Coakley, as well as uh, Silber, way back when, you know, Bellotti, Silber and Weld, um, you know, th- th- there is very low risk tolerance at this moment. And cruise control is not an option. So uh, the campaigns are still heavily door knocking as you see signs popping up, the commercial and internet ads are off coming full steam now. She's gonna spend on her five plus million dollars uh, this cycle uh, to just promote advertising. And the Healy campaign is very committed to bring up the rest of the ticket uh, to keep uh, all the Democratic primary winners uh, in play, uh, whether it be at my level or the statewide level straight to the final. So, uh, Historically speaking, in this state, high turnout is good for Democrats, mm-hmm. historically speaking. Uh, rare exceptions, but mostly uh, high turnout. So the objective is very simple, is to try to get the turnout as high as they can, trying to cross that 35% barrier and grow. Um, that, that's the objective. I mean, the ideal situations, we want over 50% of the population to vote. Uh, but, you know, people are really kind of like, aren't interested or feel like uh, this is in the bag. And that is the worst mentality you ever want. You know, you get to the you know, 30, 30, 30, 35% zone, which is, which is undesirable. So, you know, the fear is the, uh, you know, Democratic voters, you know, kind of feel like, oh, it's, it's all set. You know, I don't right. think and that's not true. I mean, everybody still should get out of vote. Uh, mail-in ballots will be available in about uh, 29 today. So, Second week of October, you know, early voting's just about three weeks or so away because it's November 8th. So it's a very late election, uh, which means that everything's kind of really pushed down, uh, which is actually good if you're running for office, if you have uh, the 8th, particularly if you had had a real, like, brutal primary. You win a brutal primary, that actual week actually helps a lot. Yes, Um, that's for sure, yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. If you're in an ugly, ugly primary race uh the actual week makes a big difference going to the final um and uh, you know that's kind of where it's you know the strategy is not complicated just keep driving out the vote yeah any more talk um about the economic development bill not really i mean continue to put a little scuttlebutt here and there what i hear the conversations are ongoing um you know obviously a lot of uh, interest groups are still lobbying uh, the leadership team members on trying to get their agendas done and uh, leadership has made no commitments to anyone about anything being done just now. Uh, I, again, would advise people not to get their hopes up uh, that major policy pieces will come out of the economic development bill. Uh, there is a possibility of a small amount of spending will come out uh, to address, as I again, the hospitals. Uh, LIHEAP is becoming a priority very quickly, uh, which is the low income housing heating program uh, for uh, low, uh, moderate, and low-income folks, especially targeting senior citizens. 
uh, looking to provide assistance and heating this winter. Uh, you know, I expect there'll be a supplemental budget if it does come an economic development bill from the governor uh, sometime probably in December uh, to try to, you know, do a rush job on a small, relatively small amount of money, but to target, you know, vulnerable populations. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be really cold winter too. There might be targeted money towards uh, homeless shelters and other, those types of assistance programs if, if the winter is really cold. Again, this recession is very strange because one of the big things of recession is loss of housing. Uh, because the financial markets crashed and uh, it's largely driven from uh, too many loans and overheating uh, the mortgage industry, which is not the case here. <laughs> right. right. The industry well, is not overheated. No, that's, that's what happened in 2008, but yeah, not this time around. Yeah. But, yeah. And, uh, you know, that also drives a lot of our social programs, you know, as people uh, lose the jobs, can't pay, uh, you know, run to a housing crisis situation. You know, a lot of uh, state and federal programs kick in. Uh, but this time people look different because, you know, you might be driven out, out of your home because you can't pay your heating bill. Yeah, which is a completely different set of circumstances than, than not being able to pay the mortgage, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, we're kind of like going to be kind of moving along. I suspect, you know, the governor's office and the legislature, it doesn't matter what time period, sometime between now and April 1st, you know, constantly going to reevaluate the situation of the energy impact uh, on heating. And, and what do we have to do to try to help folks, you know, be able to stay in their houses? Yeah, it's, I read an article on the Globe just earlier this week about the, the state's overdependence on natural gas, you know, and how that, that could cause these so-called like rolling blackouts that they've had in California, only, only at a different level here. Yeah, we're not doing rolling blackouts. We've never had rolling blackouts or brownouts. Right. Um, because Ice New England does a wonderful job on spot power access and we have enough uh, areas around us, including Canada, that can supp- supply us spot power at grotesque prices as a temporary measure. But the article doesn't actually point out some very important features. One is just raw development, mm. right? I mean, if there was no new development, no economic development, no biotech industry, no hospitals, no universities, no downtown Quincy, no construction of new housing, whether it be single family and multi-unit, you know, if the seaport was never developed, if we didn't expand the airport, we probably wouldn't be having a natural gas problem. Mm-hmm. But probably our population would be stagnated about 5.5 5, 5 million people as opposed to 7 million people we have today. Yeah. You know, no new schools built. You know, no anything built. Because uh, the fuel the energy system is, is on demand. It's not future ready in the sense that they're not anticipating future economic development growth. They're looking at short-term areas because you can't build what you don't know and you can't store excess energy. It's on demand use. You demand it, it's there. If you're not demanding it, you know, it's not there. They just cut back on how much you're going to provide. Yeah. And there's also no second line. The second gas line was come out of New Hampshire to Western Massachusetts was never built. They couldn't find a second a major utility to buy into that line to use the natural gas. It wasn't sufficient. So, you know, anything west of Worcester, it has a serious natural gas problem, which inhibits Western mass development. Right. So that article is missing a big half of that part, uh, is, the, is the change of how of, of the on-demand has increased on natural gas uh, caused by large economic development. And then, you know, we also have less storage because we had better on-demand because of the expansion of pipelines. And uh, everyone remember we had two tanks, natural gas tanks uh, off the expressway? Sure. Those of us all don't remember, now there's only one. 
you didn't need a second one for storage for backup because natural gas pipelines were built that were much more stable and safer. And uh, the second line, the second Algonquin line coming out of Connecticut uh, to come into come into the South Shore, you know, has not been built. Uh, mm-hmm. Have the right of ways, but it's going to take a long time to be built. And there was a lot of legal obstacles from local communities trying to stop it, which also delayed construction. So the globe actually is right, but doesn't really tell you the whole story. Gotcha. Yeah. Because it doesn't explain that energy is not uh, like something you can store at home to use later or the utility stores for you. It's on demand. You turn on your light switch, you expect a light to turn on. Right. Right. But it isn't like there's like a generator waiting for you to turn the light switch on. They have to keep a steady flow of power all the time waiting for you to turn your light switch on. No, they're generating it as you're using it. Exactly. And when there's enough people to, you know, overuse the generation, you know, it reduces what's ever in the wires, affects the impact, which then requires to pump more power from a source outside the state. Yeah, which costs way more money. Exactly. So... Mm. If not for the large amount of economic development, you know, over the course of 20 years, which is why we're one of the best educated, you know, higher income bracket parts of our country. Um, yeah, you wouldn't need this much natural gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Complicated people. Double-edged sword, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I like to say, if you're going to go to renewable, you're going to take off fossil fuels. You better have that renewable ready when the fossil fuels take on offline. Because you have to fill it in immediately, right? So right. That's yeah. That's the argument. Is some people think it's it's moving too quickly in that direction when it's when the infrastructure is not there yet. No, I, yeah, I have that concern. I, I want to see a fuel source of uh, fossil fuels come offline at the same time a, a renewable source come online. Mm-hmm. So you know, this Quebec line I talk about a lot. You know, Hydro Quebec coming through Maine is my stone. Uh, my uh, view is essential for stable power to come in because it's 99.9% reliability as opposed to big wind, which is about mm, 75 to 85% reliability. Um, I want as close to 100% as possible. Mm. And I want, I want a clean one that's 100% mm. reliable or close to 100%. That, that's the equivalent of natural gas, uh, nuclear or coal. And uh, that's hydro. And uh, that helps stabilize the grid and we can take more uh, fossil fuels offline and then you know, have natural gas considered, uh, considered focus on heating. Uh, this winter time, those of you that have heat pumps, not a bad, uh, not a bad source of power at all uh, for uh, heating and cooling. Not bad at all. Um, however, you know if you're 100% electric, and uh, even though and we direct all natural gas to home heating priority, that means we don't generate uh, any more natural gas-based power, and we don't have to remove to replace. As I said before, you guys are going to have a huge spike electric bill. Yeah, definitely something to try and plan for if you can. And contact a utility about uh, payment plans right now. Yeah, as well as, uh, you know, take advantage of masssave.com. Mm. You know, uh, go online, uh, get a new thermostat at an enormous discounted price. Uh, you know, nests and other types of much more uh, climate-ready, climate uh, home climate detection. Um, you know, have insulation installed. There's programs for that. If not, you know, at least have it checked you have insulation. Um, you know, obviously you can change light bulbs or whatnot, but if you turn off your lights, folks, you, it's actually better than keeping them on with an energy efficiency light bulb, right? Um, and also, you know, do these energy checks. And, you know, obviously the last uh, climate change bill, we per, you know, we have heat pumps as, uh, you know, something that is the priority for um, energy efficiency programs as we 
phase out uh, energy efficiency programs for natural gas heating systems. Uh, so, but again, I mean, uh, you have to look at your personal finances. Heat pumps actually very good technology for, for the future. Very, very good technology. But uh, this winter is going to be a tough time for people on electric-based heating. Oh, yeah. I mean, it always was more expensive anyway, but, um, you know, this will this will be um, exacerbated for sure. No, and it's nothing to do with renewable energy technology and really because renewable energy technology tends to be a little more expensive, but not anymore. But again, it's supply and demand. You got no supply. You know, demand's going to still be there. Right. Um, we're at the end of the hour, Tacky, but uh, reach out to you in many different ways, right? Sure. 617-722-2370-617. 722-2370. Again, that's the, that's the uh, office line. We are staffed. Please call. Leave a message. We'll get it. Um, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. T-A-C-K-E-Y dot C-H-N at mahouse.gov. You can uh, email me. My email box is much, much more tamer uh, in this time period uh, to another Avisky C group that decides to flood me with stuff. But, uh, you know, we'll get you emails and we prioritize um, constituent services first. I do read your stuff. I do log in. I do sort my email box uh, to ensure that, you know, your stuff is there. And, of course, uh, Tacky Chan, uh, you know, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. Uh, you can find me there uh, as well, uh, putting some useful information. And uh, tackychan.org, you know, our phone numbers uh, are on that. And we're trying to move that website around as we continue in the fall to try to do some upgrades. And um I'm CQA TV here. If you want to see uh, what I said before and how it's changed, what I said today, because things change and constant updating information. If you want to see some outdated information, you know, if we have the QA TV archive. That's right. It will live on in eternity long after we're gone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it's, uh, again, it's always interesting how this conversation keeps evolving on different topic matters over time because things change. You know, and uh, the constant right has changed. Yeah. Yeah. We keep telling the timestamp. So, you know, so, you know, <laughs> during the show, you know, uh, where That's we right. are. <laughs> and speaking of uh, next time we talk, uh, it'll be October. <laughs> it will be October. And, uh, you know, it's going to be rapidly coming up on the, the holidays. Um, and uh, at that point, hopefully we'll have a lot of new uh, statistics from the federal government uh, about inflation uh, new statistics about the labor market um, and more uh, actually good conversation to have about uh, next week as all these new stats come out um, and we'll see how the markets uh, respond to it. Okay, I'll make a note so we can uh, we can talk about that. Great mm -hmm. to talk to you, Tacky, as always. Thank you. Yeah, great to see you, Joe. I'll see you in about a week or so.